Hello, everyone. Welcome to Preach the Word podcast. I'm Ashton McDonald, and I'm your host. I'm going back in the archives for today's episode, a sermon that Pastor Shad McDonald shared on January 15th of the year 2000. The scripture reading comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 91, beginning in verse 1. The sermon is titled, The Miracle That Middle Years Demand. It is such an honor to share with you my father's sermons on this platform. And as I go through this archive, I try to be prayerful of which of these sermons that I choose. As I was preparing this episode, I received a phone call from my father. In the course of our conversation, I told him the title of today's sermon, and he shocked me with his response. He said, oh, I remember exactly when God gave me that one. Well, that's been right at 24 years ago. And I pray that today, wherever you are and whenever it is, that this sermon reaches the ear of that person that needs that miracle that middle years demand. Thank you for listening. Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. It's there that the Spirit of the Lord began to deal with me yesterday. Notice that last portion of verse 6. Nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Destruction at noonday. My title perhaps does not seem to fit the Scripture, but bear with me. If the Lord would stand by me, I want to preach tonight upon the miracle that middle years demand. The miracle that middle years demand. The biblical allotment for man's years are threescore and ten. Seventy years. Here... The psalmist uses poetry and imagery to show us the faithfulness of God. But here amid the imagery and the poetry of this psalm, there is a flash of warning. And he speaks of a destruction that wasteth at noonday. You see, there are three given times of day. They are dawn, daylight, and dusk. 
and the youth finds themselves in the dawn of life, the middle-aged individual finds themselves in the daylight of life when the sun rests high in the heavens, and then the aged find themselves at the setting of the sun during the evening of the day. The picture that the poet wants to paint to us in this psalm is this. The noonday of the psalm is the midday of the soul. The noonday of the psalm is the middle years of life. When an individual reaches those middle age years and given the biblical allotment of man's years as being threescore and ten, I find myself being at the middle years of my life. This year I will recognize my 35th birthday, 35 years old. To you that are seniors and you are much older and many of you have, that have went beyond that three score and ten, you look upon us that are in our 30s and 40s as being young. But you see, not all of us will enjoy old age such as you now enjoy. And so very truthfully, uh, I find that a definition for middle age is uh, a very difficult, dangerous, and delicate affair. When you go to talking about being middle-aged, you uh, have to be careful. Reminds me that George Duncan told of two ministers that went to pray for a certain lady. And at the conclusion of their visit, the elder minister told the young preacher to pray. So he led the prayer, and in his prayer, he referred to the dear saint of God as being the Lord's aged servant. After they had left, they were walking down the road, and the elder preacher said to the young preacher, young man, let me give you a piece of advice. He said, whenever you're praying for a dear saint of God, he said, whenever you're praying, in this instance it was a woman, whenever you're praying for a woman, he said, never mention her age. He said, the Lord will forgive you, but she never will. And that woman was 90 years old. So I understand that to define middle age might be a little difficult. But uh, allowing that God will allow me no more and perhaps not as much as three score and ten, I begin to look at my life these past couple of days and I find myself in those middle age years. I find myself in those years when I've passed the dawn of life and it seems like the sun has set high in the heavens and I'm in the noonday of life. Here's what I want to preach to you. My heart is disturbed. My heart is burdened because I have seen so many people that are no longer youth, that are no longer what we would classify as being young people. Somehow or another, they're losing their way. 
and they're erring from the faith and they're falling away from the things they once believed. And I want to warn us tonight, there is a danger that wasteth at noonday. Amen. You may think you have arrived and you're in the prime of life and you've escaped all, amen, of the snares and the traps and the potholes of life's highway and you're in no danger of being led astray. I want to warn each and all of us tonight, there is a danger that wasted at noonday. I don't have time to go into all of it. You know as well as I do that none of us are immune from, amen, the things that are attacking our homes. Amen. But I am so disturbed when my telephone rings and someone tells me of a deacon's wife who walks out of the house not to return and leaves her husband, goes to an airport, amen, and flies to a distant city to meet some man that she met, amen, because she was involved in an internet affair, amen, I am bothered, amen, when recently, amen, since the first of the year, I know of two cases of where people that went to a holiness church that were married amen that were well on their way it seemed to a happy marriage and a happy home after having been married amen a dozen fifteen or twenty years amen but they did not prepare for the destruction that wasted at noonday amen they did not prepare amen for the destruction that would come to them in the middle of their lives amen Oh, God of heaven. You see, we are never to the place that we have arrived to where that we are above temptation. We are saved, but not yet safe. Amen. I remember when I worked as a young boy out in the Gulf of Mexico, even as far over as the intercoastal canal that went into Brownsville, Texas. Amen. The buoy markers, they didn't go out there and take them down when the sun rose. The buoy markers stayed in the same place all day as well as all night because a storm was just as likely to arise in the day as it was in the night. They didn't go out and take down the buoy markers that marked the wrecks and the sunken ships that marked the deep waters of the channel. Amen. That marked the shallows of the shore when once the sun rose. No, they left them there all day as well as all night because they knew the storm might come at noonday as well as at night. Amen. I was so disturbed recently when someone told me of a well-known preacher who is in his middle years and he said he felt like that if the devil was going to get him, he would have already got him. My friend, I fear for that. I fear for that. Amen. The Lord has caused me to realize that I am not above falling. And while I am in my middle years, 
Amen. I am subject to falling to the gravest peril. You see, a young person may fall. A young person may sin and fall to subtle sins of lust. Amen. And youthful desires. Oh, but while they're young, amen, there's no peers as far as people looking up to them. Amen. There are none. Amen. No children in the house. No Sunday school class. No younger people looking at them. But when you get older, husband, when you get older, wife, when you get older, church goer, there are people younger than you and they're looking at you. And my friend, it's going to cost you far more and it's going to hurt in a greater way than you ever realize if you fall to that destruction that wasted that noonday. I must hurry. There's so many things I need to tell you. The danger of the middle years are distinctive. Remember that. I say they are distinctive because he said it's a destruction that wasted at noonday. He does not apply this to the young. He does not address this to the old. He does not say that it happens in the dawn of day or the dusk of day, but he says it happens in the daylight of the day. It happens at noonday. It happens at the middle of the day when they're right at the middle of life. How distinctive it is. And I think if we would be honest with one another, there are temptations that we face now as adults that we did not face when we were but youth. Come on here now. When I look at my life and the age that I have now reached, uh, I take inventory and I, I ask myself concerning the kind of person I have become. The kind of person I have become. The man that I am now. You see, I am past those youthful years. I'm past those formative years. See the pattern as he takes the clay that's been kneaded and worked and places it upon the wheel. But he's distracted. He's called away from the wheel for a few minutes. When he returns, he finds that the clay is no longer soft. It's not pliable in his hands as it first was. You see, there's something about middle-aged life that there's a certain rigidity that moves into us. We, we become habitual. We have our habits. We have our desires. See, the blacksmith, as he takes the iron from the fire, he sets it upon the anvil, and then suddenly it begins to cool off. He talks to a visitor for a moment and then returns to the anvil, but the iron is no longer red hot. It's no longer malleable to the hammer. It does not form as well as it did when it was red hot. And so it is with middle years. We do not adapt to change as well. We do not adapt, amen, to new things as well. We become rigid. See the candle maker as he brings the wax, amen, and begins to mold it. Oh, but when once it grows, 
grows cold. It becomes harder to impress. And so it is with the middle years. We've come to a place and we realize what we are. And the question is this. Am I happy with the person I have become? Am I happy with what I am now? Have I been yielded in the hand of the potter? Have I gave myself completely and totally and wholly to the hand of the maker? Am I satisfied with what I have become? God of heaven. God of heaven. And I think that that's what causes so many people to do such things, if you'll forgive me, that are so foolish. They reach those middle years and they're not happy with their life. They're not happy with their home life. They're not happy with their marriage. They're not happy with where they're at. And something rises up within them. Oh, God. <laughs> the kind of person I've become. What I am. Man, would you, would you bear with me? Oh, but it would be difficult for some of you to accept. Amen. The truth, if I really told it to you as it were about your own self. About how that you've become difficult because you are unhappy. You have become, oh God, you have become, amen, an individual that has got, amen, an attitude about you. Oh God, you've grown cold. Amen. You've got reserved. You've become rigid. Help me now. Amen. You're not very responsive to the Word of God. You're not very yielded to the Spirit of God because you've reached those middle years and you're not happy with where you're at. You're not happy with your situation. You're not happy with your life. And you have found yourself in a dangerous place. Amen. Come on here now. You have found yourself in a dangerous place. Amen. To where you've grown cold and unresponsive to the Spirit of God. You've grown cold and unresponsive to the preaching of God's Word. It does not affect you. It does not move you. And then it does not stir you as it one time did. And because of that, you're in a dangerous place. I said you're in a dangerous place. You said, preacher, you know what you're saying and you know who you're preaching to. How can they do that when they know? I can do it because I love you. And I'm concerned about your soul. See, the distinctiveness of this danger is the kind of person you've become. And then the kind of peril that you must beware. The kind of peril of which you must beware. I, I, I don't like using the, this word fool in a slang sense, of course, and do not. But we've all heard the old cliche, no fool like an old fool. I heard someone tell a story one time in a bit of jest that a young man, and this is a true story, 
went to a nursing home to preach. And this young preacher preached at the nursing home and his sermon was, Flee Youthful Lust. Someone made a joke of it. His pastor said he probably had it more right than what he thought. You know that there's people that are well in their years that have not learned to flee youthful lust? Now, I hope I don't have to buy some amens. I've got preaching to do, so I'm not going to ask for them. Come on here now. Amen. They've not, they've not yet learned to flee youthful lust. How deceptive. Amen. Are these middle years? Not only how distinctive they are, but secondly, how deceptive they are. Destruction that wasteth at noonday. How deceptive. You remember Hosea writing concerning Ephraim. And of Ephraim he says, Gray hairs are here and there. And he knoweth it not. Strangers have devoured his strength. Unconscious decadence. Unknown deterioration. Moral degeneracy that he does not know is happening to him. He knoweth it not. It's unlike in the physical. Because the first gray hair we readily recognize. In the natural, the first gray hair we readily recognize it. Come on here now. Oh, but why is it in the spiritual? Why is it in the spiritual? Why is it when it comes to spiritual things, they can be such an unconscious decadence, we can become backslidden seemingly unnoticed? God help me. He knoweth it not. Wasted. He knoweth it not. We are three. I've told you that. We are three. We are three. The man that my neighbor thinks I am. The man that I think I am. And the man God knows I am. <laughs> How deceptive can those middle years be? When I get to that age in life of where my dad said, boy, you're white and 21, do what you want to do. Amen. You get married or either you got your own job or, amen, you feel like you're not obligated. You're not responsible. You don't have to answer to anyone. Come on, help me now. Amen. And you feel like that you're tired of the restraint. You're tired, amen, of having to be accountable and you just want to get footloose and fancy free and do your own thing. How deceptive are those middle years. Time and again I've known of people, amen, that when they were young, they went right into the workforce and worked a good job, married young, and had children. But when they got in their late 30s or their early 40s, they hit what now is called the midlife crisis. Amen. And one Friday, the husband doesn't come back home. Amen. And his wife don't know 
happen. He walks away from it all. Something's tripped with him. He don't want the family anymore. He don't want the home anymore. He don't want the wife anymore. Is it the same with you when it comes to spiritual things? You've been in church all your life. You've been in the house of God as long as you can remember. But now because the world's offered you something, because the devil has put something before you, and then you're going to walk away from God and say goodbye to the house of God and the things of God. You're in a dangerous place in the middle years. How deceptive are these middle years? First, a presence of sin undetected. You thought nobody noticed. You thought nobody saw it. But the scripture said, destruction that wasteth at noonday. Broad daylight. Broad daylight. The progress, not only the presence of sin that begins to work, but the progress of sin. It never stays where it starts. No. For the destruction that wasteth, wasteth. Wilson says that that's the future tense. It's a word that notes violence. It denotes pestilence. Great God of heaven. To lay at waste. You see, when once sin starts, it doesn't stop. It progresses, it eats, it gnaws, it tears away. Come on here now. Jesus said it like this. The thief cometh, but for to kill, to steal, and destroy. The thief come to destroy. And I want to warn you here tonight, the devil has come and taken inventory of some lives around the prayer. And he's a laying wait for you. And he's come to destroy. Great God of heaven. Great God of heaven. I see the handwriting on the wall. The thief has come. He comes to one and he comes to all. You see here, my friend, how that when the enemy comes, he comes to do but one thing, and that is destroy. And so then lastly, not only the distinctiveness of those middle years, not only the deceptiveness of those middle years, but the very thing he come to do, the destruction of those middle years. The devil wants to come and destroy in those middle years. If he could not get you when you were young, if he could not get you out of the house of prayer when you was a young person, I tell you, he's come back one more time and he wants to get you. I said the destroyer has come to snare you and lure you away. The devil has come to take you away from God. You see, youth has so many things. Youth has energy. Youth has expectation. Youth has enthusiasm. 
But as much as youth has all of that, with all of its energy, with all of its enthusiasm, with all of its expectancy that youth can afford, there's one thing that youth does not have, and that is experience. But you should know better. You should know better. You're old enough. You should know better. Help me while I preach. You should know better. You should know better. You have been taught better. You know better. Come on here now. You know better, amen, that a person that is a Christian cannot date a sinner. You know better. Come on here now. Come on here now. You know better. It amazes me at the things that people can get involved in when they get older. And I say, oh God, surely they must have known better. Come on here now. It amazes me. Amen. That a man or a woman of God can begin to indulge in the things of this world. My friend, with the experience that you have, you should know better. Come on here now. The devil wants to come and destroy our best years. I don't know what all God has in store for the McDonald family. I don't know what is down the road. But I feel like that God has somehow kept me to now what I feel is the prime of my life. Amen. I've been preaching now since 1982. I've got a lot to learn. But I've been down a few roads. And I became ever more so aware this past week that if the devil, amen, could, he'd like to get me right now, Brother Casey, because I am in my middle years. You see, the blunders of youth are behind me. And the weariness of old age is not yet upon me. I have energy. I have well-being. I have health. I have a bit of experience. Amen. And so these are my best years. Amen. When I can put with what intellect I have, the strength that I have. Amen. These are the years that I can give my best to God. The years of my best help. The years of my best knowledge. The years of my best ability. And what a terrible failure if I should allow some subtle sin to come into my life that would thwart the purpose of God, that would cause me ineligible to fill this pulpit. If the devil could get in some way to disqualify me, to pastor this church, oh, that's what the devil would like to do. I use myself as an illustration to try to cause you to see that you are perhaps in the same place. And the devil would like to steal you away from us while you're at your best years. Oh God. The years of my maximum 
ability. The years that I can give the most, he would like to come and take me away. I look at our young married couples. I see several. You find yourself in that 35 to 50 age. For that part, and our children, that makes up the most part of the attendance of the house of prayer. Many young married couples with children. Some of you unmarried that fall in that same age bracket. What's going to happen if the devil can steal you out? What's going to happen if the devil can steal you out? Who's going to bring your children to church? Come on, help me while I preach. I, I know that divorce has become a way of American life, but I refuse to accept that divorce will ever become a way of holiness Christian life. And I, I, I understand that people find themselves in that situation. And I know there's grace and mercy to help. But if your heart's right, you'll help me while I preach that we don't want nobody to get themselves in that situation. Nobody. 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 Oh, God. <laughs> How destructive is that danger that comes in those middle years? When you reach that age in life, the devil comes and sits on your shoulder and tells you that happiness that you've always sought has escaped you. That desire you've always longed for, you've never reached it. You've never gained it. And that what you want seems to be just beyond your reach. But you stopped and you've looked. And it's outside of the bounds of the will of God for your life. You see that happiness you want, that goal that you want, but you've stopped and you've taken a look. And it's outside of the bounds of the Word of God. If I live to be a hundred, I'll never forget what a woman said to her pastor when she told him what she would do and he begged her not to do it. She got up and she looked at her pastor and she said, I believe everyone has a right to be happy. And she left her God and she left her church to go be what she called happy. But she found out it wasn't happiness at all. This destructiveness that wastes at noonday, it's a severity of a loss incalculable. I can't put a price on it. How much does it cost, this destruction that wastes at noonday? Look at what it cost David. Look at what it cost Lot. Look at what it cost Achan. 
if I fail God, when I can do my best for my God, for my church, for my family, if I fail God then, if destruction comes to me, oh God, and saps my strength at noonday when I should have been my strongest, when I should have been at my best, if destruction comes and takes me then, oh God, what will it cost me? Now let me show you something. The focus of Psalm 91, the theme of Psalm 91 is confidence. Look there in those verses I read. Abide, refuge, fortress, deliver, cover thee, trust, shield, buckler, not be afraid. That's the kind of terms I find in these short verses. Amen. From whence, amen, may I draw this security in the Lord that is inexhaustible. Amen. If there is a severity of a loss incalculable, then surely there is a security in the Lord that is inexhaustible. Where is it at? It is in the Lord. I'm going to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I'm going to stay with God. I'm going to stay with holiness. I'm going to stay with the book. I'm going to stay with God. I'm going to stay with what I've been taught. I'm going to stay with what I know is right. I'm going to stay with the house of prayer. I'm going to stay with the set, the word of God. That's my strength. That's my stay. That's my source. That's my help. It's to stay in God. How can I prevent this destruction that wasteth noonday? How can I survive this destruction that wasteth at noonday? Verse number five said, Thou shalt not be afraid. Glory to God. When I see what's happening to others, when I see what's coming against other homes, divorce, and all of these things, pulling people away from God, what's going to keep my home? What's going to keep my marriage? What is it that's going to keep my faith strong? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The only thing that can keep me in this world is my union and communion with Christ. The only thing that's going to keep me from moral failure, infidelity, and to sin against my God, my church, my family is my union and my communion with Jesus Christ. You that are older remember this. I only know what I read. But Eisenhower was taken to the front. It was then called the second front. The second world war was going against us. After the war, Eisenhower wrote his memoirs, 
crusade in Europe. It was then that they introduced a new secret of warfare. He referred to it as logistics. And he said the secret and the important thing of successful warfare is not strategy, but logistics. And that simply is the transport and the movement of troops, the supply of ammunition and power to move not only strategically, to move not only offensively and strategically, but to move as one to move in unison so that when they moved they moved in power and they had enough backup not only to uh, triumph over the enemy but to push forward so when Eisenhower went to the second front there was General Montgomery and when Montgomery went to the front he did not move until all the men were behind him and he waited until he had enough backup that he could win the battle and then push forward. You see my friend, the secret, amen to Christian living is supply. You've got to have the backup. You've got to have the power. Let God of heaven, I tell you if we're going to triumph over the devil, we've got to have some power. We've got to have some strength and the only way we're going to get it is dwell in the secret place of the most high. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, I'm almost finished. And I don't know if I'm still your friend or not. But there are some of you here to all outward appearances it may seem like you've got a happy home. It may seem like you've got a happy marriage. But there are some of you here tonight. You're at that time in life where that middle age years demands a miracle. You're at that age in life you need something momentous to happen in your life. You need something to happen in your life to get you out of the rut you're in. You, in all honesty, will admit you're not living to your full potential. You're not doing for church, family, or God what you really could do. If only you could have that miracle that middle age demands. If you could have that miracle, that middle age demands. And so I take us to Acts chapter 3. The Bible said that Peter and John went up to the temple at the third hour, ninth hour of the day. And there was a man that was laid daily at the temple gate. And the Bible said he looked upon them expecting to receive. You know all the story. You know what happened. 
But have you ever noted what chapter 4 and verse 22 said? When I read this today, it just leaped out at me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 22. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Great God of heaven. Notice the disability of this man. For years, something had hindered, hampered, and halted him. Halted him. For years, something, amen, had stopped and stayed him and he could not do what he wanted to. For years, he had been laid at the gate and he did not know the happiness that life really afforded or the disability of this man the perplexity that he was in for now 40 years or more he's been in this condition he'll never walk he'll never get his miracle but notice when Jesus was introduced to his life he got the miracle that middle age demanded and I want to tell you you may be at a place in stalemate in life. You may be at that place of disability and despondency and discouragement. I want to tell you, if I can introduce you to Jesus, he can give you a miracle. He can give you a miracle in your life. That man, he got that miracle and middle-aged imagine he got what he needed in those middle years. About 40. He got something. Great God. That stirred him. That put strength in his legs. Put a shout in his soul. And he went into the house of God walking, leaping, praising God. And his life gave glory to God your life don't have to end up in divorce adultery in a backslidden condition you can get that miracle that middle age demands when you begin to look for happiness and satisfaction outside of the bounds of thus saith the word of God. You better seek God until you get that marriage that God wants you to have. Everybody still happy? I can remember that sweet man. Even though I didn't like the meal. We was at Neosho back in 81. Brother Brandon was still even then preached there at the college and dad was there and they had clown chowder it was awful terrible but you that remember brother Branham sweet man jolly feller and I never forget if I live to be a hundred he said one night he said be a whole lot better to want something you don't have than to have something you don't want Be careful. Be careful. When you go to look for happiness, when you go to look for satisfaction, you may wind up having something you don't want.
I'm not interested in your personal life. I'm not trying to run your business. But I am interested in your soul. And there might be some marriage couple, married couples here tonight. You may have hit that midlife skid. You may have come to a place there's no romance in your home. There's no love. I, I, I think I'm right. Sister Kathy's welcome to correct me. But I tell my wife I love her every day. Every day. If you don't, you ought to try it. I'm concerned about our church. I'm concerned about our homes. I'm concerned about every one of us. And I'm worried about some of you because I'm afraid you've hit that midlife skid. That destruction at noonday. And if you're not careful, some cheap little old trick is going to catch your eye. Somebody that the devil has brought into your life is going to cause you to err and go away from God. You're standing all over the house. Your heads are bowed. And your eyes are closed. Well, there it is. I've pled my case. I've read it to you from the book. I've laid it out there just as plain as day. You know where I stand. You know just how it's going to be. The question, friend, is this. Not whether that's right, this is right, or all the other. But the question is this. What you're doing with your life, is it pleasing to God? What you're doing with your life, is it pleasing to God? Is it within the bounds of thus saith the Word of God? Or have I allowed myself to fall prey to a destruction that wasteth?